The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Peg and Bruce. It's a hot topic on retirement. What does that mean? Well, for a variety of reasons, many retirees choosing to re-enter the workforce. Bruce and Peg are going to get into it today. Text and call them today on our studio line, 651-989-9226. And of course, all week, ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6ADVICE or your money at wealthenhancement.com is the email. Here's Senior Vice President Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Peg and Bruce. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Peg. Hi, Rashini. Uh, Rashini, thanks for the uh, – that's a great lead-in to the topic today. Thank you. So, Peg, um, I, I have to admit, you and I did not come up with this idea. Kevin and our marketing team came up with this, but I think it's a really – Really strong topic. You must have uh, clients that are that are unretiring or or going back to work, right? Yeah, I I I'm so grateful that we work with so many people as they try to come up with: Should I retire? Am I ready to retire? And I don't think many people listening would know that that's a big part of our financial comprehensive planning is talking to people about whether they actually are ready. Because our experiences, and correct me, Bruce, if if you aren't seeing this, is there's a lot of folks out there that actually fail the emotional process of retiring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, they simply are just not psychologically ready. And many of them, because we work with a lot of corporate um, executives, their job is a big part of their identity. And so you actually have to be ready to, to, to walk away from that. And in one way that you do is you just have to figure out what you're going to do on the other side. And if you do that before you actually retire, I think you're going to have a greater probability of success. Yeah, we talk to clients a lot about not retiring from something but rather transitioning to something, to the next phase of your life. And no matter how much coaching you try to do it, and and I think, Peg, your point is a great one, this is not just an economical decision. This is a lifestyle change. This is a synergistic change. We talk to married couples about how a great marriage might be a great marriage when, you know, someone is working 40 hours a week or more, but now you're thrown together 24-7 and suddenly there's a strain or a stress on the personal relationship. So today we're going to talk a little bit about why folks might want to unretire. And again, I, I'm, I'm assuming this is a, a certain percentage of our listeners right now. And then if you, if you've contemplated that, or even if you're not retired yet, 
I think this is still going to be good information if you get there and find this is you. We'll go over some things to be aware of and take into consideration if you're going to go back to work. But in terms of why they do it for me, and again, I don't know the exact percentage of clients. It, it's it's small in terms of total clients, but it's significant in terms of impactfulness to their life. But I would say in my situation, it's never been because somebody needs the money. It's been because <laughs> they're just bored or unhappy being retired and they want to they want a sense of, uh, you know, do. they want to be busy. They want to do something. They want to accomplish something. It's I've, I don't know that I've ever had a client go back to work because, just because they need money. Yeah, and I think, Bruce, that's because um, we actually work with people who have money. And so I think there's a lot of folks out there that may – uh, find out that they have to go back and maybe it is that they want to um, and they just don't want that top executive job. They don't mind, you know, a, a lot of relationships are built, you know, with your coworkers and they, and they can miss that. So, so why do folks un, unretire? Well, they actually may just want to go back and that's what you're saying, Bruce. And if they don't need the money, they just want to go have that camaraderie with people and, and, um, and, and quite frankly, keep their mind, uh, in shape because I think most people worry about if I retire and I'm not challenged every day, like I am at my job, how do I keep my mental, um, health great? then there are these people who need to go back and sometimes the need is just for a want. So I recently had a client that wants to just gift money to their children and to their grandchildren and see how it changes their lives. And this person is actually willing to work and take all those proceeds from that job and, and then give it to their children and give it to their grandchildren. And that's, that's, uh, high on this particular uh, client's list. Then trying something new. So we often say on this show, Bruce, you know, uh, some of our uh, men and women tend to go get a job at Costco or Home Depot or, you know, um, they take their hobby and then they go try to help people for a small pay with something that they've enjoyed, you know, doing on the side. And, and, and a lot of times, they actually start their own business. Um, you know, they, they actually were somewhat artistic and they've got this thing that they create and then they start going to those, uh, little fairs and all the little towns and on the rivers and, and selling their, um, you know, their favorite thing. And then also I, I mentioned giving away money with a client, but, but some folks actually want to support their parents and they feel like they don't want to jeopardize their kids by helping their parents. So they'll go out and, and unretire just to, just to uh, pick up some bucks to be able to help mom and dad. Yeah. It's interesting. Some of the things you mentioned are some of the same things I see pig. I, um, you know, I've, I've had clients that were, you know, business executives, white collar workers, but they're handy. So they'll go get a job at, you know, a, a Home Depot or a Menards or something like that. Or like you said, uh, you know, they they will take their their hobby or their skill and turn it into a small business. So, you know, I have a client that, you know, built for as a hobby, always built furniture. 
now he spends more time doing it and he sells it or a Rondack chairs or whatever it is. But, but if it's a labor of love and it's not work, it is a great way to keep yourself young and sharp and active. And if you can make a few bucks at this time, you know, it's even better. But, you know, again, getting into this, um, people that, that fail at retirement, a lot of this is just knowing yourself. You know, I've said on, on this show for years that I never want to retire, but I reserve the right to change my mind. But I still feel that way now. I'm 62 years old, and, and at, at this point in my life, I just I love what I do so much that I can't imagine not doing it, and I know myself really well. And if I didn't have this to do, I think I would go crazy. I don't love to golf as much as you do, Peg, and as much as a lot of people do. And I have hobbies, and there's travel or things I'd want to do. But I like being busy. I like helping people. I like doing what I what I do. And as long as I can do it mentally and physically, I, I, I think I would. Um, so I know that about myself. So some of this is people, do they really know themselves? And, and they think they do. And they retire, and they think they're going to like it, and then they get into it, and they find out they don't like it. So, yeah. again, they, they decide they're going to unretire. So those are the reasons why they do it. What are some of the things that people that might be considering that or might have already done it? Uh, what are some uh, financial help that we can give them, things they should consider? Yeah, statistically, about 51% of people retire between the age of 61 and 65. Well, what that means is that when it comes to Social Security, we do have a choice of taking Social Security as early as 62. So if you're younger than your full retirement age, um, and my full retirement age is 67 or uh, a little bit north of that, if I were to take my Social Security, then decide that I want to go back to work, then I would lose $1 for every $2 that you make above $18,960. So that means I turned on my Social Security early. I went and got a job. I'm getting paid more than $18,960. Then you actually lose some of your benefit just temporarily. It's not technically lost forever. Your benefit then will increase a little bit when you get to full retirement age or, or FRA. I encourage my clients to not take Social Security if you even think you're going to go and make more money than that because it's complex. And to understand what they're pulling back and how you get credited back, I find it very confusing. So I always encourage my clients to uh, make sure they absolutely want to turn on Social Security. If, if they think they're going to make more than that, please, I just tell them, please do not do that. And then in the months that you retire, you should get your full benefit, even if you've earned income uh, of the maximum threshold for the year. So this 18, if you are fully retiring and you happen to be mid-year or something like that. So then if your benefits are withheld due to working, you will still see higher benefits once you stop. That's the same point I made earlier about don't think you're going to lose it. And then if you receive both work and Social Security income, you can end up paying higher taxes. And I'm glad that uh, marketing put this point on because taxes matter in everything you do. You can make a decision in isolation to turn on Social Security, but make sure you know what impact that might have on your taxes 
and especially if you work and you're taking Social Security at the same time. Yeah, that's all good stuff, Peg, and I, I can't even add to that, but, but um, the impact on Social Security, I, we can't stress it enough. If you haven't considered all the things that Peg just talked about, you really need to do that. And it's not a reason not to unretire or go back to work, but you just have to be aware of how it might impact you and plan for that. Um, Peg, the other thing I, I meant to mention when, when I talk about why people unretire, and I know I'm going backwards or trying to give people some ideas if they decided to do that, but I have a friend slash client um, who actually reminded me with a text. I don't know if he wants me to say his name, so I won't. But a lot of my clients end up spending a lot of time working for charitable organizations and giving their skills and their talent to a charity uh, it's a way of giving back and contributing rather than just writing out a check. And it also, you know, satisfies some of that need or desire for interacting with people, interfacing, staying staying sharp, staying youthful. So I, I'm sure you would say the same thing, that a lot of your clients, you know, m- maybe it's not unretiring, but they spend a lot of time not earning a paycheck, but volunteering for various charities. Well, yeah, and a big thank you to everyone listening who does that. I don't know where we would be uh, as a society if we didn't ha- have all these great people out there willing to give their time. And uh, over and over I hear, because uh, these are super smart people, and they're just adding, um, you know, their intellect and sometimes financially and also man hours. And so, in women hours, but it, it's just such a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and we see that every single day and, and um, just praise these people for doing that. You know, I just thought of too, Bruce, um, you, you, you have to kind of intertwine your investments and your securities and your, and your holdings when you're thinking about income. And that makes sense. But now let's say you did retire um, and, and, but you worked, let's say you worked till 70 or 72 years old. Uh, now all of a sudden these required minimum distributions matter. And there was a new law in 2020 uh, that you didn't have to take your required minimum distribution until 72. But there was also a new law that happened that says, oh, you can still contribute to IRAs. So I have several clients who work minimally doesn't impact their Social Security, but they want to work just to put in that deposit of a Roth IRA. And so if you're over 50, you can put in $7,000 a year. And so I have, you know, 75, 78-year-olds that are still contributing to their IRA. And then just make sure uh, you figure out whether a Roth is right for you or, or you could still do a deductible. IRA, which a lot of people are surprised. And so we look at those opportunities to see which is the best. Um, and so work with your advisor. You know, try to figure out, even if it seems like, oh, 7,000, that's just such a small number. Hey, if you can do that every year, Bruce and I actually get to see. We, we're, we're privileged in what we get to see people's net worth every single day. And we've watched, you know, 7,000 being contributed. And a lot of times it's his and hers. Because even if one works, they can put in the 14,000. As long as they made 14,000, they can also put in the seven for the joint return. So that actually builds up rather quickly. 
That's really good advice, Peg. Let's let's give folks another uh, nugget or two, and then let's see if we can find time to also squeeze in a text or two in the first half. What what else? What's another good uh, idea for folks? Well, you know, a lot of times people talk about, you know, how do you go back to work? So um, I find that if you try to go back to work, let's say you retired and you go back to work too soon, um, a lot of my clients are, are out on a mission to try to make the same money they used to make. And then they go through this kind of depression phase again, thinking, oh, I don't understand why these people are not hiring me. And then they have to work through that process um psychologically. And then you don't necessarily have to go back to what you're great at, right? Your same line of work. You know, uh, we talked a little bit about hobbying. But the other thing is, is people are on the move. So we're finding that, well, especially with COVID and um, other circumstances like taxation, uh, people are starting to relocate to different states. And if indeed you do that, you know, maybe you can uh, continue to work from home and have the flexibility in retirement. Uh, but otherwise, just make sure that you're not um, getting getting on the road and traveling for an hour when you really didn't want that job anyway. So then just remember that employers technically can't discriminate uh, based on your age. And then also just look for things to keep busy. Uh, so we talked about part-time, Bruce. We talked about volunteering, which is great. Um, we do find that once people retire, they actually try to learn everything that you and I know. Have you ever had that? Like they want to, <laughs> they want to dive into their investments and tax and estate planning and, and, you know, accumulation versus distribution and it, it's overwhelming to them, but they think they're going to master that in a very short period of time. And I tell them, I'm like, I've been in this three decades. And I have to tell you, I don't know it all. I mean, to keep up with all of it, you truly need a village, like a round table of people like we have. Uh, that's the only way I think you'll be confident. And then lastly, I want to throw in, Bruce, it's very difficult to make decisions on your own about your own money. It's so emotional. And so you tend to do the wrong things at the wrong time. So you can tell I'm a proponent. Uh, make sure you have some help and that you can get some guidance from someone other than yourself. I think that's a great point. And I think people, if they're being honest with themselves, understand that emotional decisions are rarely good decisions. And it's hard not to be emotional about your own money. Um, all right, Rossini, let's take a text or two before the break. All right, and remind people our phone and text line, 651-989-9226. This listener says, thanks, love the show, is retiring at 65 and living off savings and portfolio until full retirement wise, or should I start collecting at 65 and leave my money invested? Hey, Rashini, that's a great question, Peg. This gets back to the, uh, really, it's, it's, it's the, the answer to the question is an analysis of when and how to draw Social Security benefits. And are you going to use that as a primary source of income, or are you going to use your own savings and investments? Yeah, I love, Bruce, that we have that sophisticated software where we can do an analysis and give the clients pros and cons. There's other things that, that you have to consider, too, that may not go into the analysis, but the analysis is going to project how long you're going to live. 
And, you know, at what stage should you turn on Social Security and what are these break-even timeframes? Then it gets a little bit more complex when there's two of you, because if you're married, you can play off each other and one could wait and the other one could um, take right away. So I always laugh when I go through this sample because it's, I always tell, ask people, when are you going to die? And, you know, then we go through the family history and then we kind of try to predict. But then the biggie is, do you want to pull out of your savings today and disinherit the beneficiary? Because if you pull out, then they are not going to get the money where Social Security doesn't have a beneficiary. So if you pull out from Social Security, something happens to you, then your assets will go to your beneficiary. So your, your point is there's a lot of variables to consider. And it's never going to be an exact science because we don't know exactly when you're going to die. But based on the things that we do know, we can do that analysis, give our opinion as to what is probably the best thing for any one individual to do and greatly increase their odds or their chances of getting it right and maximizing that benefit. Right? That's essentially what you said. That was a great summary. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm stretching because I I didn't think we had time to take another question. Bruce, we're up Bruce, here's one that I think oh. here's one that I think could just do a yes or no answer. Does wealth enhancement have a minimum requirement to become a client? Peg, we don't have a minimum requirement. Uh, what we do provide is an introduction meeting to just talk about what you're looking for in a financial advisory firm. And then uh, everybody out there, we offer to do that introduction meeting, and then we can decide, you know, if indeed we are a match. All right. Remind everyone of the number, 651-989-9226. More questions with Peg and Bruce? We are back. Rashini Rajkumar with you along with your hosts, Bruce and Peg of Wealth Enhancement Group. We're talking unretirement today, but Peg and Bruce will usually answer all of your financial questions, even if it is not about unretirement. You can call or text us at 651-989-9226. But to bring us back, Peg and Bruce, maybe you can redefine what that term even means. Hey, thanks, Rashini. So, Peg, um, you know, we talked about in the first half of the show so you've retired and you decide you're not happy. You're not good at being retired. So you go back to work. It doesn't have to be the same job. It could be a different job. It can be volunteering. We talked about some of the things to be aware of with regard to taking Social Security early and then going back to work. And if you make more than $18,960, you're going to get your benefits going to get whacked. Um, you talked about going back just to be able to contribute to traditional IRA or Roth IRA or going back to earn some extra money to help a child or an aging parent. So we talked about a lot of different things. We even talked about strategically or or from a methodology standpoint, how do you go about going back to work? But the one thing we didn't talk about to Rashini's point is we kind of did. I I mentioned myself. I mentioned thinking I know myself and knowing I wouldn't be happy retired, that I would get bored. And I made the the bad joke that I don't like to golf that much. And then I realized I probably don't like it because I stink at it. If I was a good golfer, I'd probably like it more. Um, but I, I know that I would be bored if I retired, that I, that I love doing what I do. So one of the things we should maybe talk a little bit more about is what if you haven't retired yet? Um, 
how maybe we can help someone avoid ever having to unretire because maybe they don't retire in the first place. And again, this is not just financial. This is not just economical. I, I, I know I have clients that economically could afford to retire, but they choose not to for the same reason I choose not to. I just love what I do so much, and I, I would be less happy if I wasn't doing it. Yeah, Bruce, uh, there's a lot of people that are the opposite of you right now that I'm witnessing, and that is these 61 to 65-year-olds are retiring at a higher percentage than I've, I've seen in a long time. I think some of it is COVID-related. I think some of the things that uh, have has come up with COVID, you know, working from home, maybe that's a great thing, but yet now they don't know, and maybe they traveled every week and they had to fly from state to state and they've got a job now where the technology is all new because the company's actually going to stay, you know, high tech and have people working from home. And so I've been getting a higher percentage of phone calls about retiring early now and not really wanting the life that they had to actually come back. But one of the things that, and we should mention this today, is health care. Health care is the number one reason why people hesitate to retire. And they hesitate because it's expensive. It has gone up. It's the highest percentage inflation rate-wise is health care. And at that age, you know, 61 to 65, you're a little vulnerable. I mean, you, you could definitely feel a-okay, but you know you're getting closer to if something were to happen or you have friends or family that something's happening to them, so that that um, plays on your emotions as well. So Wealth Enhancement Group helps run financial forecasts. What's it actually going to cost? Should you take the company's COBRA for 18 months and, and pay that? Should you go out on your own and buy a high deductible? so that you can still continue to contribute to those health savings uh, accounts that we absolutely love, that you can uh, put the money in, get a deduction, and then pull the money out tax-free. So that would be number one, Bruce. If you haven't retired yet, it's, it, it, it's finding someone that may be able to coach you through that. And then secondly, I hope you have a vision, and it's crystal clear, and it's in color, of what this retirement looks like. And I find that even when I'm working with these people and I'm asking them to, to tell me the story, give me the vision of what you're doing, you know, and, and, and some hesitate. And then um, I just encourage them to, to make sure that you have a list of things that you absolutely want to do. But then beyond those first couple years, what does it look like? Do you want to travel? Do you want to do kind of a consulting business? Do you want to live in two homes? Do you want to? So I, I really push people to say, what, what's, what's your picture? You know, what's your vision? And then it's super fun when the other one's sitting there too, and they give their vision. And then for me to say, oh, that's, uh, that's far apart, you know, or <laughs> how do yeah. we, how do we get them to work a little closer together? And um, that's why I love our job, because we get to live through these people's lives and help them. And, there, and there's almost always a way, even if it seems like their visions um, uh, conflict with each other, there's always, almost always a point of compromise or a way to get it done. And that's very satisfying and very gratifying when we can help do that 
And to your point, Peg, um, I, and I love how you talk about visualizing in color because I like to think I'm pretty good at visualization, but I don't, I don't think I do it in color. I don't think I do it as vividly as you do. But as you know, but for listeners' sake, sometimes we get clients that have done that, and they're excited, and they're enthusiastic, and it's demonstrative, and we just pick up that momentum and help them. And other times, you get the deer in the headlights look like, what are you talking about? And you kind of have to help them because, again, that's really the stuff that, that matters. When someone says, you know, I want to retire, can I afford to? We have to know, well, how much do you plan to spend when you retire? What does it look like? What's your lifestyle? Are you going to travel? Are you going to own a second home? Are you going to assist adult children or aging parents? All these things we need to know. But uh, but you can tell oftentimes people haven't thought about that or considered that. And again, it's our job, and it's very rewarding and very gratifying to help them realize why that's important and to help them have that vision that they didn't have previously. All right, All right, let's, we take- yeah, let's go to our text. Uh, here's a quick one, and then we have a couple longer ones. Does Wealth Enhancement Group receive any compensation through LPL Financial on one's funds under their management? Okay, so Peg, does Wealth Enhancement Group uh, receive compensation from LPL? And I think we should probably um, explain who LPL is and our relationship with LPL and also probably talk about the difference between affiliation or association with a broker-dealer versus being a registered investment advisor, I think this confuses a lot of people, and, and they'll have a better understanding of our business model You know, if we go into that talk about both things. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, it is confusing. It's, it's, it's confusing to the new clients that join us as well, is why have two? Well, LPL is um, a broker-dealer. And a broker-dealer has a seat on the exchange, which means that you can, you know, do uh, buying and selling uh, through their brokerage uh, firm. And then um, and there's certain products, if you will, and, and not necessarily just mutual fund, but I would call them package products, products that, that um, companies are putting together for sale uh, LPL will do the due diligence and, and um, you know, do the compliance part and see if they want to put that as an offering for the advisors that are associated with LPL. Then secondly, um, Wealth Enhancement Group uh, does access LPL for those uh, packaged products, but we also, uh, when we started the company, uh, we're a registered investment advisory and a fiduciary from the day that we opened the firm. And that is where I describe it as having a special license. We are able to take limited discretion and manage uh, the portfolio for you. And I say limited because we can't just change your risk tolerance. We can't just go buy something without permission if it's outside your uh, investment uh, profile. But it does help in that we are able to uh, make trades on your behalf on a very timely basis if we see something that we want to move to within the market. And so the other part about the registered investment advisory is, is it encompasses all of our comprehensive planning uh, within Wealth Enhancement Group as well. And one of the other reasons that it gets confusing, uh, Rashini and listeners, most firms are one or the other. Most people in our space are either a broker-dealer 
or a registered investment advisor. And Wealth Enhancement Group is both. We're a hybrid firm, if you if you will. And it's I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it, it is a little bit unusual, and it can lead to some additional confusion. So, Peg, that's a great explanation. All right, let's go back to the text lines. This listener says, please talk about when you do reach full retirement age and draw Social Security, whether you can work or make all you want and Social Security not taking money back. Ah, so and again, you know, Peg, we talk about it all the time, but it still never ceases to amaze me how I think a lot of people instinctively before they get there, just assume Social Security is going to be easy. I'm going to retire and I'm going to take Social Security. And then when they get there and they learn more about it, they learn how complicated it can be. And we're always getting questions like this one. Well, we, we, I'm happy when people ask us questions because it is complex. But simply put, if you have reached full retirement age, uh, defined by Social Security, and it's based on when you were born, how, uh, what your age is. So if it's a 1960 or, um, or after, then it's going to be 67 years old. But that's simple. The tough part is, is what you do between under 67 years old if you were born, you know, in 1960. And, and there, there's all sorts of rules. And we talked about them some today in that if you decide to go get a job and you make more than this 18,000 plus, then they just go ahead and take out $1 for every $3, basically. Um, and that's confusing in that you are going to get it back when you go reapply down the road, but um, it's confusing. People don't know, am I, did I really get back what I should have gotten back? Uh, other than that, the other thing that's super confusing is it's not just about you. When it comes to Social Security, if you have a spouse, you know, you actually can play off each other in in certain ways. And and the biggest one I think, Bruce, that everybody forgets is, is if one of you dies, the other one gets the higher of the two. And so we do a lot of planning around the death benefit as much as we do around when to take Social Security. Yeah, and, and again, earlier in the show, there was a question, um, you know, uh, also about Social Security and when and how to take it. And the same is true if we do pension analysis. A lot of people out there listening right now maybe have a pension, although we're seeing fewer and fewer of those. And, and again, we can help, and we have ways and methods of taking what we do know and feeding that data into a you know, software program and doing calculations to try to enhance the chances of maximizing benefits and getting it right. But without that crystal ball and without knowing exactly when someone's going to die, we're never 100% sure we're absolutely correct, but we greatly increase the chances. And it's worth doing these types of exercises and understanding how these benefits work. Social Security, to anybody that's not there yet, if you think, oh, I'll just retire, I'll take Social Security, I'm telling you right now, it's not that simple, and you're going to want to get professional guidance probably on how you take those benefits before you get there. The other thing, Bruce, um, I wanted to add here is not only do we look at things uh, mechanically and do forecasting and we know the rules, but the other 
part that I think we really help with is we've practiced on thousands of people. I mean, real life people who have made these decisions already, and we have witnessed how that worked for them in the future. So some of that insight, yeah, you can't put that in a in a rule book and say, hey, you know, get an advisor who has insight based on, you know, past experiences with clients. But I'm just telling you right now, that has worked greatly for our firm as well, because we are a distribution planning firm. We, we send paychecks to probably 70% of our clients. And part of that is making a decision on Social Security when to turn it on. And so that's, uh, um, if you do find an advisor, make sure they have a lot of experience helping people through that decision. All right, Peg and Bruce, I'm going to give you a heads up about this one. There are a lot of numbers involved, but Keller seems to have a good question going, so I want to share with you. Keller says they'd like to pay off a vehicle loan of 33000 at 6.99% with four years left on it. Keller has three mutual funds with Vanguard that totals 127000 a $42,000 Roth, Another mutual fund, 121,000, and another one with 42,000, plus some other investments. The question seems to be, why is for Keller to take money out of any of them to pay off that loan, the vehicle loan, or should Keller consider a different method? Hey, Keller, thanks for texting, and thanks. It is actually a really, really good question, and Peg. Um, you know, you can add all the numbers you want and, and, and talk about, you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, what kind of investment it is or if it's a Roth. But at the end of the day, more than anything, this gets down to comparing a return on investment versus a cost of debt service. Yeah. So this rate, of course, that just, I mean, that's a shocking rate, 6.99, but not unheard of. Because with cars and the fact that they depreciate, they're a depreciating asset, uh, a lot of times the rates of interest that you have to pay are going to be higher. Well, there's two things you could do. You could definitely sell out of something. My concern is I don't know if that's actually going to cost you money. The markets have been so good that that you may have capital gains that you may have to pay if you do that now. Secondly, what I encourage my clients to do is you don't necessarily have to pay it off um, at, at one time. You can prepay. And a lot of times if you just go online and look at an amortization table, plug in how much you still owe, what rate of interest you're paying. And then if you start paying more, maybe you pay double, triple payments, then you're controlling your interest rate to be lower just based on time. You're not going to pay it as long. Uh, and so if there isn't a prepayment penalty for doing that, that would be another suggestion. Um, I'll add to that only a little bit, and Peg's answer is great, and I agree with every word. Um, but, Keller, I would also say um, it's never a bad idea to take winnings off the table. And what I mean by that is if, you're, if your investments have done well and they're at or near all-time highs and you want to liquidate and lock in those gains, and then use that money to pay off onerous debt. I wouldn't tell you not to do that, but I would also tell you that those, if those are good investments, over over a long period of time, they're probably going to earn you a return higher than the cost of the debt service. Although, at almost 7%, that's not a slam dunk. 
Peg said she was shocked, I think, because most loans, most interest rates right now, most debt, the interest rate is much lower. So another option that you might have, and this may seem like it's way too complicated and you dismiss it immediately, but you could refinance the loan and get a lower interest rate. Um, and you can even use equity in your home. So maybe your home is paid off and you take a $33,000 home equity loan or line of credit against the house. Now, some people say, I don't want to put my house at risk, but now you're borrowing against an appreciating asset rather than a depreciating asset, and you're probably getting a lower interest rate. And if you have enough other deductions, you might even be able to itemize and get a deduction for that loan interest, which you're not on the car loan. So I agree with everything Peg said, but I would add, you may even want to look at refinancing because that's a really high interest rate in today's environment. All right, Peg and Bruce, let's try to get through a flash round here with these last few texts. I'm moving to Florida. Can you be my advisor? Thanks, says Paul. (laughs) Well, that's easy. We could absolutely be your advisor. And we work, um, you know, from California to, you know, New York City. So, yes. And Peg, I know sometimes you've been making an appearance in Florida, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, yes, I do. But we don't necessarily even code the client to, you know, where the advisor is anymore these days because of video and things. And so, um, once again, we offer a free introduction meeting. And so if you would like that, Rashidi, you can give the number again. But if you would like that, you can call us and then, uh, our new client team will address all those questions. Yeah, and that we number actually, is 8886 advice. We actually do business right now in 40 some states. And Peg, I think we have offices in at least 12 states, if I remember right. But we've grown so fast, I can't keep track. All right, here's another moving question. I hear about people moving to South Dakota to avoid paying taxes on their retirement when they withdraw their money. Is it true they pay no taxes like we do in Minnesota? Great question. Peg, we got about a minute, I think. Yeah, I can't say that you pay no taxes, but you do pay less taxes. And there's many states out there that you would pay less than Minnesota. But what I find is uh, reasons people stay are well beyond money, you know, family relationships, great place to live, love, you know, multiple seasons. But you're right. South Dakota would be less than Minnesota as it stands today. And Bruce, really? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say real quickly, can you give people one tip for retirement if they don't have a Roth? A vehicle. A Roth vehicle? They don't. No, any other vehicle besides a Roth. Oh, okay. Well, after tax money, if you have money that you've saved and you've already paid tax on, that's that's a very good bucket of money, and I call that precious money. I love it. Yeah. Great tip from Peg. Precious money. Um, okay, <laughs> we are like out of time. So many great questions. We'll be back with more your money next Sunday. Send in your questions during the week. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc.